Welcome to the Lance Lambert Ministries podcast. For more information on Lance's ministry, please visit our website at lancelambert.org. Follow us on social media for more encouraging content at Lance Lambert Ministries. How can we fulfill the ministry we have been given? Each one of us has a gift or function in the church. We have some part to play. We have a ministry, whether it is big or small. In this episode, Lance highlights the parable from the Gospels of Luke and Matthew of the master who gave ten, five, and one to his servants, and the unfruitful servant who wasted his master's money. Let's listen. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19, verse 11. I'm reading from the standard version. And as they heard these things, he, that is the Lord Jesus, added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was immediately to appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called ten servants of his and gave them ten pounds and said unto them, Trade ye herewith till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent an ambassador after him, saying, We will not that this man reign over us. And it came to pass, when he was come back again, having received the kingdom, that he commanded these servants, unto whom he had given the money, to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by trading. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, thy pound hath made ten pounds more. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant, because thou wast found faithful in a very little. Have thou authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Thy pound, Lord, hath made five pounds. And he said unto him also, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that which thou laidst not down, and reapest that which thou didst not sow. He saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I am an austere man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that which I did not sow. Then wherefore gavest thou not my money into the bank, and I at my coming should have required it with interest? And he said unto them that stood by, Take away from him the pound, and give it unto him that hath the ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. I say unto you that unto every one that hath shall be given, but from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But these mine enemies that would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And we'll read... In Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. This is not the same parable. If you look carefully, you will discover that one, that they were both given quite different times, but they have somewhat of the same um, meaning. Chapter 25 of Matthew, Gospel according to Matthew, and verse 14. I'm going to read this in the New English Bible because so often the word talent 
has unfortunately, instead of it being understood as it ought to be meant, uh, is understood to mean natural talents. It is like a man going abroad who called his servants and put his capital in their hands. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, to another one, each according to his capacity. Then he left the country. The man who had the five bags went at once and employed them in business and made a profit of five bags. And the man who had the two bags made two. But the man who'd been given one bag of gold went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. A long time afterwards, their master returned and proceeded to settle accounts with them. The man who'd been given the five bags of gold came and produced the five he had made. Master, he said, you left five bags with me. Look, I have made five more. Well done, my good and trusty servant, said the master. You have proved trustworthy in a small way. I will now put you in charge of something big. Come and share your master's delight. The man with the two bags then came and said, Master, you left two bags with me. Look, I have made two more. Well done, my good and trusty servant, said the master. You have proved trustworthy in a small way. I will now put you in charge of something big. Come and share your master's delight. Then the man who had been given one bag came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your gold in the ground. Here it is. You have what belongs to you. You lazy rascal, said the master. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. Then you ought to have put my money on deposit, and on my return I should have got it back with interest. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one with the ten bags, for the man who has will always be given more till he has enough and to spare, and the man who has not will forfeit even what he has. Fling the useless servant out into the dark, the place of wailing and grinding of teeth. The Lord would have us take this evening is on this word, fulfilling thy ministry. Fulfilling thy ministry. I think um, uh, two weeks ago, uh, if I remember rightly, we spoke about the ministry that is entrusted to every single believer. It's not just a ministry of the word. It's not just a great ministry. But every single one of us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, has a gift or a function in the church. We have, as members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have some part to play. We have a ministry. Whether it be a very small part or whether it be a very large part, every single part in the Lord's sight is vital. Now, I'm not going to go over what we said that evening because in the course of the study, we naturally, there will be some things that overlap. But the first thing I want to say, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 25, um, the first thing I want to say is that this ministry is given of Christ. Matthew chapter 25, verse 15. And unto one he gave five talents. To another two, to another one. 
he gave. Now that's the thing that lies behind all true ministry. It is given of Christ. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, we read these words. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The Lord Jesus gave gifts unto men. Verse 11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministering, unto the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He gave gifts unto men when he ascended on high and led captivity captive. And then he tells us some of the things he gave. If you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11, we are told it is through the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, that these gifts are divided to each one. But all these worketh the one and the same Spirit, dividing to each one severally, even as he will. Here we've got the same thought of God um, giving to us these gifts, the Spirit dividing to each one severally, even as he will. If you turn to uh, the same chapter, verse 28, then it says, God hath set some in the church. And then he goes through a long list, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diverse kinds of tongues, and so on and so forth. All these many things. And the list isn't exhausted. We have just as it were a certain number of the functions and the gifts that are there. And there are many more. I'm sure the list is not exhausted. Ministry is given of Christ. Now, I don't know what your ministry is. I know what the ministry is of some are. Um, and we know that whatever your gift or ministry is, it is given of Christ. Now, when you go back to Matthew chapter 25 or Luke chapter 19 and you read the parable of the talents or the parable of the pounds, although they're very similar, they are actually not the same parable. They are different parables, although they are more or less teaching the same thing. In Matthew 25 or in Luke 19, we find the talents in one, the bags of gold, or in the other, the pounds. <coughs> the pound, of course, was ve very much less money than a talent. Talent, uh, even before the war, was some almost 250 pounds. So now it will be very, very much more indeed. So you can imagine that these talents were quite a lot. Now, what is what are we really being? Is the what is the Lord really teaching us in this parable? Well, it is His capital. 
his substance that this rich man was in fact dividing amongst his servants. And uh, the idea was that the servant should take what was given to him of the Lord. This, this capital uh, entrusted to him and should trade it in one way or another. And you will notice that even what was buried in the ground or hid in a napkin still remained exactly what it was. In other words, it didn't deteriorate. Although the talent was buried in the ground when it was dug up, it was still exactly the same value. It was one talent. And the uh, pound that was hid in a napkin remained one pound. Now, I think we must understand from the very beginning that God gives his gifts as he sees that they can be used. Now, if you take this chapter 25 of Matthew again, verse 15, we read this. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two to another one, to each according to his ability. Each according to his ability. The New English Bible puts it like this, each according to his capacity. Now, if you turn over to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, and uh, verse we read this, unto each one of us was the grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now the talents represent the gift of Christ. It may be his gift in ministry of the word. It may be as an apostle. It may be as a prophet. It may be as a pastor, a teacher, or an evangelist. It may be as a help. But whatever it is, it is something of Christ, something of his substance, something of his capital, something of the wealth and the riches of his character, of his life, of his being, which is entrusted to us. And uh, that's the first thing we've got to get abundantly clear. It's not natural gifts or natural talents that are in view here. That's where we've made the mistake because the word talent here, of course, is, uh, is a, a money uh, measure. Uh, it's a quantity of money, not anything to do with natural abilities. But because we have the two words, the talent used in this way and the talent we use, uh, meaning that a person is talented, they have talents, we've got these two things mixed up. The first thing to get clear is that this that was given to the servants of the rich man was his capital. It wasn't theirs. It wasn't theirs. It was his capital that he gave to them and, in a sense, received back. It was of himself, his substance. Now, the second thing is this, and this is perhaps mysterious and we'd need a whole evening to talk about it. He gave his substance according to their ability or capacity. 
In other words, the natural side of a person's being and life does come into this matter. A Spurgeon once said, God never raises up a man to be a great evangelist if he doesn't give him powerful lungs. Now, it's very, in some circles, of course, it's, it's put like this, that, well, no, you see, this is the amazing thing. The Lord does take the weak things. It, surely he does. But, you know, it's an amazing thing when you recognize that John Wesley used to sometimes preach to upwards of 30,000 people without any loudspeaker, without any amplification at all. And people said they could hear in the open air and the, at the very outward fringe of the crowd. Spurgeon used to preach sometimes to 25,000 in the Crystal Palace and everyone heard his voice right up above in, in the gallery, without any kind of technical equipment as we know it today. Now, you see, it is interesting. God does, when God is going to do something in a, in a singular way, he takes a pawn. Of course, he breaks the man. He puts the man through tremendous experiences and sometimes the more gifted, the more talented the man is, the more tremendous the, uh, the education spiritually he has to go through. But you know, Paul was still Paul. When finally he came out, he was a broken man. He was a man who was dependent upon the Spirit of God. But the Lord was so fearful of the natural capacity of that man that he gave him a thorn in the flesh so that he shouldn't run away with himself, so that he shouldn't, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he shouldn't be over-exalted. In other words, he shouldn't overreach himself. The Lord was so fearful of the natural capacity of his servant that he had to take this extreme measure to keep him, as it were, broken and dependent upon him. Now, you would have thought three years in the Arabian desert broken on the road to Damascus, nearly blinded, and all the other things that happened to him, surely that would be enough for Paul. After all, flogged three times, left for dead once, stoned so many times, imprisoned, hounded about, betrayed by people. Isn't that enough for a man to be broken? Why give him a thorn in the flesh as well, a messenger from Satan that worried Paul more than all the other things put together? But you see, the Lord was very, very, very afraid of the natural capacity of the man. To Paul, to the Apostle Paul, we might say, had been entrusted five talents according to his capacity. The Lord knew that the talents there with that capacity could be used once the vessel was controlled and governed by the Holy Spirit. And so it is, dear child of God, even if it doesn't sound very spiritual, so it is in church history. Whenever you look in the whole of church history, whether it be Jeremy or Augustine, or whether it be Huss, or whether it be Luther, or whoever it is, wherever you look, Wesley or Fox or, or any of the latter-day saints, it seems to me that you find men who in themselves are remarkable, and yet men who have gone through deep waters sometimes, Deep, deep waters, broken, 
made dependent upon the Lord. Talents have been given to them. Spiritual divine capital has been entrusted to them. The Lord, in his foreknowledge, knowing that it could be used to the full in that vessel. The old Puritans who used to say that when God does something extraordinary, he prepares an extraordinary vessel before the person's even born. The, the whole thing's prepared. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find it absolutely true. You find it with Moses. You find it with Samuel. You find it uh, with um, uh, Je uh, Jeremiah. And so with others, you will find that the Lord went right back to their very birth and before their birth for the preparation of chosen vessels unto the Lord. Yet we have to say, what is natural is natural. What is of the flesh must be crucified with Christ. All that old man cannot be touched in one way. It is immaterial to God in one sense. It's the, it is the character and life that is the treasure. The character and life of Christ that is the treasure out of which the ministry flows. Yet, there is an earthen vessel. Now, it is interesting here that in Ephesians 4, verse 7, we have, according to the measure of the gift of Christ, there is the talent, there is the pound, the measure of the gift of Christ, five talents, two talents, one talent. And then on the other side, we read this. He divided it, Severally, uh, he divided to each according to his several ability. Now, isn't that interesting? And I was reading a very interesting thing this afternoon that one old divine said. Uh, he said, you might have a small circle, and you might have a bigger circle, and you might have a big circle, but every circle is perfect. And some Christians think if they have only one talent, oh, they're very, very inferior. But in actual fact, it's a perfect circle, small. And to another is given two talents. And it's a perfect circle, bigger. And to another may be given five talents. It's a bigger uh, circle. It's, you see, I think we've got to divest ourselves once and for all of the mentality and idea that the person who's got five talents will of necessity get very much more. Is it not interesting that in this parable, the Lord commends the man who traded his five bags of gold and produced five more in exactly the same way that he commended the man who traded only two bags and got two more. Both doubled what they had. And both received uh, the same commendation. Isn't that interesting? Now, the thing I'm underlining, first of all, is that this ministry is given of Christ. That's the first thing I think we have to underline, which we'll say a bit more in a moment about some of the other aspects of it. Um, the Lord never judges you on the standard that he will judge an apostle. If you are just a help, then you are judged according to that standard. 
what has been entrusted to you. And the Lord has entrusted to you what he knows in his grace he, you, he is able to enable you to do. So that's the first thing we want to understand. The second thing is that this ministry given of Christ is to be fulfilled. Now here is the important point. It is to be fulfilled. You may only be given one bag of gold, but the whole point is what you do with that one bag. It's not that you're to sit down and weep and say, I should have been given five bags of gold. How is it possible I've only been given one? That's not the point. The Lord gives you one talent and waits to see what happens with the one talent. And you know, it would be most interesting if the person with the one talent had put it in the bank. What would the Lord have said? You see, there were two ways you could there were two ways in which you could could get something on your money. One was to invest it, one was just to put it in the bank. And let let some interest accumulate on it. And the Lord in both cases, of course, both the pounds and the talents, we do not know because the man never did it. The Lord only said, Why didn't you do it? even if you hadn't traded it, if you had not risked anything with it, but you put it in the safest place possible because you were afraid. You put it in the bank. At least you could have put it in, in, a, in, a, in an account, as it were, as, as we have some, where you're getting some interest on it. Where it is not just there idly, but it's doing something. Now, this is the point. Ministry given of Christ is to be fulfilled. That's the objective. It's not given uh, for any other reason than that it might be fulfilled. Now let's look at one or two scriptures. First of all, Matthew chapter 25, verse 27. <clears throat> Here we've got it. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the bankers, and at my coming back I should have received back mine own with interest. Certainly there probably wouldn't have been a lot, but it would have been a little increase. And it's that that the Lord is looking for, increase. That's all. However little, some little increase on the original capital. Now turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5. 2 Timothy, second letter of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 5. Be thou sober in all things, suffer hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill thy ministry. Fulfill thy ministry. Turn back to Colossians, chapter 4, verse 17. Letter to the church, Colossae. Chapter 4, verse 17. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. A ministry received in the Lord. Here you are. Take heed. It doesn't just fulfill itself. This spiritual idea that we just have a ministry, a gift from the Lord, and we do nothing, and it does everything. It's quite wrong. Take heed about that ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. 
and Paul's word to Timothy, fulfill thy ministry. Colossians 1, verse 25. <clears throat> Paul speaking of himself now, whereof I was made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which was given me to you, Lord, to fulfill the word of God. Amazing way of looking at his ministry. To fulfill the word of God. He had the word of God given to him for them and he wanted to fulfill it. In other words, reach the objective for which it was given. So in Paul's case, a great ministry, the great apostolic ministry given to him, those more than five talents entrusted to him. And his concern is that he may fulfill the objective for which it has been given. So <clears throat> that's one thing we have got to be very, very clear about. Another thing is that in this ministry being fulfilled, it is what is of Christ that gets increased. It's rather beautifully put in Luke, in the parable of the pounds. Luke 19, verse 16. <clears throat> it's rather interesting. In Matthew 25, the servant says... I have made. But in Luke 19, verse 16, he says, Thy pound hath made. Isn't that beautifully put? Thy pound hath made ten pounds. There is a sense in which what the servant did with it wasn't so important. He says, it's the pound that made the ten pounds. I put it out. I traded it. But it was the pound itself. If I hadn't got the pound, I couldn't have made the ten pounds. That's the point. If you haven't got something of Christ, it can't increase. But once there is a deposit of Christ there, then you can trade what you have, however small. You can, as it were, it can increase. Thy pound hath made ten pounds. Verse 18, thy pound, Lord, hath made five pounds. That's Therefore, is interesting. Ministry is given to be fulfilled. Now, the third thing I think we should underline in this matter of ministry is that all that is given of Christ is given for the advance of his kingdom and the building up and development of his church. <clears throat> now, of course, that I think to most of us is well known. All that is given of Christ to us is given for the advance of his kingdom and for the building up and development of the church. It is not given for personal adornment, for personal exhibition, for self-glory. You know, so often this whole thing, how it's gotten, especially into Protestant circles, this thing of, we call it, ministry consciousness, a whole lot of people fighting amongst themselves as to who's going to minister. And they all think they've got some ministry of the word. I'm quite sure the Lord is sick at times of the whole thing. Quite sick of it. And I mean that. Really sick. Because that is no, he's not that interested in that kind of ministry. 
industry. A lot of men squabbling for the platform. A lot of men live, so indulging in a kind of rivalry to get into the pulpit. People wanting to be something. Their idea is that if they could just, well, they're something. They're in the limelight. They're, they're in the sort of gaze of people. Uh, oh, dear, this kind of thing. It's not given for that. This gift of Christ in ministry, whatever it is, is not given that we might be able to exhibit ourselves. We might be able, as it were, to show ourselves off. We may be able to adorn ourselves with this gift. How tragically possible it is that all gifts can become merely personal adornment. Something by which we get power over others, something by which we feel we can influence others in a wrong way, something by which we feel we can control. Again, of course, that leads me to say this, that it's not for personal power and prestige that these gifts are given, not to make us lords over the flock of God so that we can just lord it over people, but so often amongst God's people, you know, this kind of thing, it becomes a kind of platform for petty people to become petty dictators in a petty sphere. And they control everything to the very thoughts that the people think. No gift was ever given for personal power or prestige. No, that's the negative side. All is given of Christ for himself in his own. Now, it is very interesting if you turn back to the chapter where we've, in which we read that parable, Matthew 25, <clears throat> and listen from verse 35. Well, I'm going to read verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for, for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and ye gave me to eat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or a thirst, and gave thee to drink? And when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it unto one of these my brethren, even these least ye did it unto me. This is, I think, sometimes overlooked. All these gifts, this, is, this, this parable of the goats and the sheep comes immediately after this parable of the talents. And it is so interesting to me that the Lord is really saying, these talents, this that I give you, is for myself in mine own. That's an amazing thing. I wonder if you've ever really thought about it. That means that if there was someone who really was hungry and you gave them a meal, you didn't think much about it. You gave them a meal. One day the Lord will say to you, thank you for those meals. It will turn around and say meals. 
When did I cook you a meal? And the Lord said, well, when you did it to so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, or those clothes you sent to Easter, <coughs> thank you for clothing me. We say, clothing you, Lord? Yes, those clothes you sent to my children in Eastern Europe. Oh, you, oh there are so many things we could say. <coughs> so many, the Lord will say to us in that day, you see, this that you were doing was really to me. I was in them. You were actually ministering to me in them. So all gifts are really for the advance of his kingdom and the building up of his body. One cup of cold water given to a weak child of God will never be forgotten at the great white throne. Never. Here, of course, it's not the great white throne that's thought of. Here it is, the believers, building up the believers. Well, remember that. So all this ministry is for the Lord himself in one another. And sometimes, you know, we fail to see the Lord in one another. Sometimes the Lord is so hidden in one another uh, that perhaps we just don't realize it. But he's there. And all these gifts, whether it is ministry of the word or whether it's many other mundane things that are part and parcel of the routine life of the church here on earth, they're all, they're all of them noticed by the Lord. Because if they're really done in the strength which he gives and as unto him, then really, although they maybe seem to be to people, and sometimes seem to be, well, they don't seem to be getting us anywhere or doing anything. <coughs> Yet, in fact, the Lord is saying, you have done it unto me. And then again, <coughs> I want uh, the fourth thing I want to underline this evening about these parables is that it is all on loan. All on loan. That is, this gift, whatever it is, that is given to you in the body of Christ in the church of God is on loan. Now, let's explain what we mean. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it is as when a man going into another country called his own servants or bond slaves and delivered unto them his goods. That doesn't mean he gave them his goods, but he entrusted them with his goods. In other words, his capital, his substance, he entrusted to these bond slaves. Now, of course, one has to remember, these servants are not the servants that we tend to think of today, uh, hired servants. These are bond slaves. That is, they actually, as it were, they belonged to the master. And uh, they were, as it were, <coughs> almost his family. Now he has entrusted to them his substance and his capital, the running of his whole estates, all his estates. And uh, he's gone off. Everything is on loan. It's not theirs. It's entrusted to them. It's loaned to them. Now, if we turn to various scriptures, I think we shall begin to see a little of light on this. For all these gifts in the church, these functions in the church, are in a sense loaned to us. They're not ours. They're not really ours. They're his. 
and they are loaned to us. They're entrusted to us. And one day, the Lord requires them. He comes back and requires them. And a reckoning will be made, a settling of the accounts. And the Lord will say, well, now I gave you so-and-so. What did you do with it? Or I gave to you such and such. What have you done with it? It's going to be a settling of accounts. You can't say, well, Lord, it was my own, you know. The Lord will say, no, it wasn't yours. I gave it to you. It's one of the gifts I distributed. The Holy Spirit distributed. What did you do with it? It wasn't given to you for personal adornment. It wasn't given to you to cosset and cuddle. It was given to you to trade, to build up the body of Christ. Now then, let's turn to a few scriptures then. 2 Timothy, <coughs> chapter 1, verse 12. 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. For which cause I suffer also these things, yet I am not ashamed, for I know him whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day. Able to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now we have a great problem here. In every one of the more modern versions, we have this difficulty. The authorized version is the only one that tells, renders it, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Now, if you read all the modern versions, you will find in your margin that which or that which he hath committed unto me. Now, how could it be so different? Here's one thing, I am persuaded that he is able to guard that which I have committed unto him, or that which he has committed unto me. How could there be such a mistake? Or how could there be such alternatives? They're quite different. I commit unto him something against that day, or it says it could be that which he has committed unto me. If you look at the Revised Standard Version of 1952, then we read this. Um, they render it in this way, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, margin, or what I have entrusted to him. And then J.N. Darby, in his version, puts it like this. Um, he puts it this way, I am persuaded that he is able to keep for that day, the deposit I have entrusted to him. If we take the amplified version, they have got out of it, of course, in a way that only they can. And they have put it like this. <coughs> Whom I have believed, adhered to, trusted in and relied on, and I am positively persuaded that he is able to guard and keep that which has been entrusted to me and which I have committed to him. Until that day. In other words, they've got both in. And of course, this version has got it uh, materially the same. And I have, he's able to guard that which I have committed unto him against that day and puts in the margin the opposite, uh, that which he has uh, given to me. Now, the difficulty is this that the original is just my deposit. Now, let's read it again. That's the actual original. 
I am persuaded that he is able to guard my deposit against that day. Now, what does that? Is it my deposit with him? The deposit I have made with him? Or my deposit of him? Which is it? In fact, both are correct. I mean, spiritually, it doesn't matter how you look at it. There is a deposit of him in me which he is able to guard against that day. But there is, in a sense, uh, a sense in which I have deposited something with him. My faith, my trust over against that inheritance that is in the heavens, undefiled, that fadeth not away. So both are correct. When you come to verse 14, here you've got it again. That good thing which was committed unto thee, God, through the Holy Spirit which dwelleth in us. Or, again, that good deposit, God through the Holy Spirit who dwelleth in us. If you turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 20, you've got the same thought again. O Timothy, guard that which is committed unto thee. Or, guard the entrusted deposit. Now, all this deposit, it's a low. There is something, however, whichever way we look at it, there is something the Lord has deposited with us. Now, I'm quite sure that in Timothy's case, if you look at this 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and verse 14, and you read through the chapter when you get home, you will discover that it's his ministry that, that Paul's talking about. God, that which is deposited with you, Timothy. This ministry that's given to you, this knowledge of the truth, this revelation of the Holy Spirit, guard it, guard it. That which the Lord has given you, this gift which is in there by the Holy Spirit, guard it. And um, when you look at it like that, well, you begin to see that this gift that's in you and in me is not my own. I can't do with it as I want. I have been given it of God, however small, it may only be a pound, it may only be one talent, but I have received it from the Lord. It's on loan, it's deposited with me. And one day he wants it back and he wants to see what I've done with it. Has it increased? Has it been fulfilled? Has it achieved the objective to which, for which it was given me by the Holy Spirit? By the Holy Spirit. Well, I think that's very, very important. Again, in a, in the same matter of it being alone, brings me to this: we are not owners but stewards. Now, again, if you turn to some other scriptures, uh, one Corinthians chapter four. <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul says a minister is a steward. A steward. Someone who is not the owner, but who is, as it were, the well, manager almost, the one who, as it were, is guarding, it's entrusted to him. 
He's watching over it. He's administering, administering it. It's not his, but he's administering it. He's the steward of the mysteries of God. You turn over to Titus chapter 1 and uh, verse 7. Well, you'll find a rather interesting thing. For the bishop must be blameless as God's steward. So even bishops are God's stewards. They're not owners of anything. They are stewards. That's all they are, stewards. That is, they are administering administrators for God. It's, everything belongs to God. They are just administering something of God to us. Stewards. Again, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we read this. According as each has received a gift, ministering it among yourselves as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God, good stewards administrators of the manifold grace of God. Now the grace of God in you may be expressed in being a help. And in one, it may be expressed in being a minister of the word. And in someone else, it may be expressed as an evangelist. And someone else, it may be expressed in tone. Or someone else, it may be expressed in another way altogether. All kinds of ways it could be. Whatever it is, it is the manifold grace of God expressed in various ways in different members of the body. But we are all from the greatest, and I don't really think that's a good word for it, but the biggest gift, if you like, to the smallest gift, all are stewards of something of which they are not owners. Only channel. Channels only, blessed master. Just as it were channeling the manifold grace of God to other believers. Now, having said that, I think we have to pass on to the fifth thing that we want to say, and that is the anger of the Lord over any gift being buried or remaining static. Now we turn back to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Verse 24. And he also that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, weeping where thou didst not sow, and gathering where thou didst not scatter. And I was afraid, and went away, and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, Thou hast I known. But his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I did not scatter. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the bankers, and I coming I should have received back mine own with interest. Take ye away therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath the ten talents. I don't believe this is so much to do with our salvation. It is to do with gifts. In the body of Christ, we can lose our place in the body of the Lord. Taken away. For the simple fact that we have shown that we are incapable of exercising 
a function in that body. You see, the whole point, the whole point, it is not natural ability that counts. Where there is natural ability, there may be more talents once the natural ability is broken. But in every case, it is the spiritual character of Christ that is given. And that's the thing that lies behind everything. So really, this is the thing we've got to let bite into us this evening, get right into our inner heart. It's not a question of natural ability and natural resources and natural capabilities that will carry us, as it were, to the heights of the kingdom. Not so at all. The Lord judges purely on what we do with what has been given. If I have one talent, he judges me on what I do with one talent, not five, not two, but one. And if you've got five, he judges you on not what you will do with one, but what you've done with the five. Because when he gave you five, it was according to your ability. In other words, the Lord knew very well that the five could be made ten. Let everyone take note of this. The Lord knew very well when he gave you your gift that it could be doubled. Doesn't matter who we are, what we are, every single one of us, the Lord gave it to us according to our several ability, according to our capacity. He never makes a mistake. The Spirit of God divides to each one several as he will. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if he's given you one talent, you can be quite sure you have the ability under the Spirit of God and grace that will be given according to the measure of the gift of Christ over against your natural ability that will enable you to fulfill that ministry. So if there are five, there can be ten. If there are two, there can be four. And if there is one, there can be two. Now that, I believe, is very, very important. It explains the anger of the Lord. It explains the anger of the Lord. He is not sort of saying, now look, it's a, you cringing there, saying, oh Lord, you're misjudging me. You're misjudging me, Lord. That's not it at all. The Lord says, you wicked. What a word. You wicked and slothful servant. Wicked? How was this person wicked? Lord, all they did was bury it in the ground. You can't call that wickedness. Yet the Lord says, as it's put in our, our thing, you rascal. In other words, behind it was indifference, lethargy, and carelessness. Nothing less and nothing more. That's all. All that moaning mini-talk about not being able and my circumstances and everything is all I wash. As far as the Lord is concerned. Absolute either. The Lord says, wicked and slothful servant. Now the Lord never judges harshly. When we see him moving around in the days uh, of his life here in ministry on earth, he never judged harshly. Always there was mercy. Always there was love. Always there was grace. Only where there was needed the harshest judgment. 
when it came to the house of God, made a den of thieves. Then he was angry. When it came to other places, when he was filled with indignation, it was just. And when the Lord gets angry over this, you can be quite sure that there's cause for it. There's cause for it. These people, this, this one servant, you can be quite sure, was probably having a whale of a time, spending all his time on his garden or something else, or some hobby or pleasure of his, and he thought, well, of course he is a hard man, I'll bury the treasure and he can have it back. I mean, after all, he's got it ex back exactly, and I'll just say to him, well, Lord, I knew you were a rather hard man, and I knew you'd rather have your one talent back than only half. <coughs> After all, if I traded it, if I could have lost it. So I thought, well, I know you'd... It was all... It was... I know it's a colloquial, it's a slang. It was eyewash. And the Lord saw through it completely. The man was having a good time. He was bothered about himself. He wasn't bothered about his master's talents. Training. He probably thought to himself, my master's rich enough. Poor little me. Poor little me, he's done everything. Poor little me, I haven't even got a talent. So I'll just look after his talent carefully and give it back to him intact. He can't grumble, can he? He's got it back, what he gave me. But his master was very angry. So his master said, you take away what he's got and give it to the others. He has lost his position in the administration of God. Not in the salvation of God, but in the administration of God, he has lost his position. He has shown that he is unable. He is not worthy. He is incapable of administering. Because you see, dear, dear child of God, it's not how much you've got. It's what you do with what you've got that counts with God. So he sees a person with one talent, and they're really, they're fulfilling it. They're doubling it, or even only getting interest on it. The Lord says, that's right, that's right. I'll give you a position in the kingdom. And you've got your head screwed on the right way, spiritually. You're responsible. Yeah, I can use you in the kingdom. You know what you're up to. You're putting kingdom interests first. I'll use you. But when he sees someone who can only think of himself, the Lord doesn't want that type. We've had enough trouble in this world without introducing anything like that into the kingdom, albeit without sin. No, that's baby. That's baby. That's kindergarten. That's nursery. That's left to the other. If the Lord wants growing up responsible adults spiritually who can administer his kingdom, look after his interests. So this is a very, very important thing. The Lord is, in fact, angry over this. For God expects of us according to what he has given, not what he hasn't given. So you can rest assured one day when you go into the presence of the Lord, the Lord won't say to you, why didn't you teach? If you were never given the gift of teaching. But if you were given the gift of being a help, he will ask you what you did there, for every one of us will give account. Now, this is a very interesting thing. The Lord loves us so much, he won't interrogate us, but he will ask us to give account. It's an altogether different atmosphere to the great white throne where people are interrogated. Here, we are asked to give account. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we say, well, Lord, this is what happened. 
Those of us who are elders are going to be asked about all the flock. Terrible, isn't it? We shall be asked, well, how did you react? How did so-and-so react? The Lord knows, but he wants to find out from us. What happened when you spoke? What happened in this situation? How did you cope with that? Why did you do that? As we give account, Lord questions. You know those eyes? Those eyes, so loving and yet so true. There'll be no lies, no deceit, no hiding. We shall either be speechless or we shall be able to give an account with a good conscience. Now I wonder whether if the Lord came tonight, whether all of us would be able with a good conscience to give account before his judgment seat. Yet you see the Lord's not judging us according to what he has not given, but according to what he has given. So, to whom much has been given, much is required. And to whom little has been given, little is required. If you turn to James and chapter 3 and verse 1, James, in his very practical, level-headed and rationalistic way, gives some good advice. He says, Be not many of you teachers, my brethren, knowing that we shall receive heavier judgment. There it is. If you're a teacher, you're going to get a heavier judgment. In other words, there'll be um, the Lord will have a, a more acid test, as it were, applied. Uh, this is so so simple and yet so important. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we, we, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that an interesting way that it's been put? We must all be made manifest. That's interesting. What does that mean? We must all be made manifest. In other words, in other words, we must all be exposed. All the facade away. What's really inside? Show it. Well, it's as simple as that. It's what Matthew chapter 25 verse 19 calls the settling of the accounts. The Lord comes back and he says, now we're settling the accounts. Uh, now, I gave you so much, what's happened? I gave you so much, what has happened? I gave you so much, what has happened? Well, I think we must close, but we'll close by asking ourselves, how can we fulfill our ministry? How can we fulfill our ministry? There are three words that are used concerning our ministry or the gift that is given us. The first is guard. Guard the deposit. Uh, we have it, uh, we've read it already, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14. Guard that good thing which was deposited which was committed unto thee, God, through the Holy Spirit, which dwelleth in us. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, we've also read it this evening. Oh, Timothy, God, that which is committed unto you. God. Now, what does this mean, God? Well, let's look at it on the negative side. It means, don't be careless. When you're guarding something, you're not careless. You're on the alert, you're attentive, you're watching, you're waiting, 
You are, as it were, making it secure. You are covering it. Don't be careless. Don't be lethargic. Don't be indifferent. Oh, you know, sometimes we've got this idea of ministry, which is all highfalutin. It's all, as it were, up in the air. It's abstract. It's all to do with the platform or it's all to do with standing before people. But you know when it comes down to it in the end of the church, it's like an iceberg. Two-thirds of it are under the surface. And all that the Lord's not going to ask all the time about the platform ministry and all the things that were public, he's going to ask, well, what about those flaws? What about that kitchen? What about that steward? What about that visiting? What about that, we call it fishing, I'm not sure he will, um, and so on. You know what I mean? He will ask all these things. What, what about it? What did you do? How did you do it? You see? God. If you have a position in the house of God, however small, do it. Guard it. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And do it as unto the Lord. Because the Lord will judge you one day according to the way in which you have supervised or administered that job. Now, if you're not sure that you're in the right thing, get out of it. It's as simple as that. If you think you're around a square peg in a round hole, you're in the wrong position, you're in the wrong place, well, seriously ask the Lord about it and go, go to the church and ask them about it. Get out of it, you see. See that you're in the right thing. But if you're in the right thing, do it. Because that's the thing the Lord's going to ask you about and the thing that, that you've got to guard. Guard that. You know, it may surprise you one day that that little mundane thing you're doing, however small it may be in the house of God, is watched by the Lord. And as he watches it, one day he may say to you, you know, you did that well. I watched it. No one else did, but I did. And I have a place for you. It's rather like a big firm, you know, and a really good managing director who watches people. He watches how they do small jobs. And when he sees they really do it well, he promotes them. Because he knows that if a person does responsibly a small job, they'll do responsibly a big job, if they're capable of it. They've got the ability. God, don't be careless, don't be indifferent, don't be lethargic, don't be irresponsible. Really fulfill it. How? Guard it through the Holy Spirit. How can you guard it? You can't guard it through your own energy. You cannot guard it through your own resources. You cannot guard it through your knowledge. You can only guard it through the Holy Spirit. Guard that deposit entrusted to you. Through the Holy Spirit who dwelleth in you. See that you're full of the Holy Spirit. See that you're walking after the Spirit. See that you're led of the Spirit. And you'll be guarding that. 
all the time. The second thing is in about fulfilling one's ministry, second word is in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 6, for which cause I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee through the laying on of my hands. And link that with 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 14, neglect not the gift that is in thee. With the laying on by prophecy, or with the laying on of, of the hands of the presbytery. Now, this is very interesting because the actual word is stir into flame the gift that is in thee. Rekindle the gift that is in thee. It's there, then kindle it. Away with this idea that some people have that if you've got a gift from God, it just automatically um, fulfills itself. No, says Paul to the great Timothy, who wants to step into his shoes when he passed from this earthly scene. Stir up the gift that's in you. Even Timothy had to stir up the gift that's in him. He had to stir into flame the gift. That means a gift can slowly, through neglect, Simmer down till it dies out. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. Then in the second letter, stir into flame the gift that is in thee. Fires go out through neglect. We've found that out. Fires go out through neglect. You're so busy, they're neglected. Fires don't just put coal, coal and fuel on them, you know. They just don't do it. Someone has to put fuel on them and wait them and, and stop the ash from clogging it up and, and see there's a little bit of air and it'll burn. Stir up. Stir into flame the gift that is in thee. In other words, dear child of God, get rid of the ashes that are clogging up the gift, the dead ashes of past experiences. Don't hug things that are past. Get rid of all the dead overlay of ashes. Shake the grate. Let it fall through. And then what there is still to be burnt will burst into flame if you let a bit of fresh air get through. That's all you've got to do. Stir it. Give it a gentle prod. Get rid of the dead ashes. Let a bit of fresh air in and give it a gentle prod and add a bit more fuel. And the, the gift... <laughs> The gift will grow. It will burst into flame again. Let no one think that people are just sit here and suddenly are transported onto the platform and give a word. It may look easy to some, but it isn't. There has to be a discipline behind it. There has to be ways of God with us behind it, and we must stir into flame the gift that is in there. And how is it done? Well, it says again, verse 7, God gave us not a spirit of fearfulness, but a spirit of the power and of love and of a sound mind. Oh, if we had a spirit of power, spirit of love, and the spirit of sound mind, the gift would all the time be stirred into flame. We need the spirit of power to be with us. We need the spirit of love, devotion to the Lord, and therefore to his people and to a dying world to be in us. And we need the spirit of a sound mind. How many gifts have died clean out because of emotional excess or unbalance. Shooting off at a tantrum. Sound mind, balance, discipline, soberness. That's what's needed. And lastly, the last thing if you want to fulfill your ministry is give yourself to it. Very simple, isn't it? Give yourself to it. Well, it's as simple as that. If you want to become a painter, give yourself to it. 
You'll never become a great painter if you just think about it, daydream. You've got to get a canvas, get the oil, sit down and give time. Perhaps one day it'll hang in the National um, Gallery. Romans 12, verse 6. That's on the natural. And having gifts according to the grace that was given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith, or ministry, let us give ourselves to our ministry, or he that teacheth to his teaching. And so it goes on. He that exhorteth to his exhorting. What is your gift? Is it in the kitchen? Give it. Give yourself to it. Give yourself to it. Is it teaching? Give yourself to your teaching. Is it ministry? Give yourself to your ministry. Whatever it is. Uh, and so it goes on. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're in charge of some job, give yourself to it. And you know what? You will find grace. Grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, the thing you think perhaps is dull and insignificant will bring grace to you. The grace of God, and with the grace of God, life. And so in fulfilling your job, giving yourself your ministry, you get more life. The more you neglect your gift, the less life you have, and the less life the others have. The more you give yourself to it, the more life you have, the more life we all have. So, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, and with this we must close, uh, 4, verse 10 and 11, you, uh, according as each hath received a gift, ministering it among yourselves as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if any man speaketh, speaking as it were oracles of God, if any man ministereth, ministering as of the strength which God supplieth, that in all things God may be glorified, through Jesus Christ, whose is the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, may the Lord help every one of us to fulfill our ministry so that whatever it is, we may give ourselves to it. Whatever it is. From the simplest jobs, the most routine, the most technical jobs, to what, pardon, to what we consider to be the most spiritual let us give ourselves to them. Let's just pray. Now, Lord Jesus, we ask thee, be with us, help us, undertake for us, for we ask it all in thy name. Amen. May we be fruitful servants who fulfill our ministries. May we be diligent in what we are given. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. Amen.